0: Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick,
1: and I'm Lewis.
0: And um, coming off Star Wars Month, we have a very divisive film for ProCon today. Yes, uh, somewhat, somewhat divisive.
1: Yeah, I know it's going to tear us apart. I'm sure in the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour, uh, we will be at each other's throats about uh, the greatest uh, stardom film ever. Uh, glitter
0: a suitable stardom film
1: uh a masterpiece a, yeah okay, uh okay. <laughs> so glitter came out in 2001 uh directed mm-hmm. by vondy curtis hall who most of you would or i don't want to assume but uh, a good yeah, number of you. of you will know most, him most of you honestly. as uh <laughs> ben urich uh from netflix's daredevil he's the journalist um mm-hmm. Uh, So, yeah, this guy's an actor turned director. Um, This is his second film. It stars Mariah Carey. Uh, This was the film that was supposed to um, skyrocket her acting career. Um, It did not because uh, it is a box office bomb. Our favorite type of film, of course.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, Um, What's interesting is after the movie came out, um, she she was hospitalized. Before the movie came out actually right like like, yeah. like in in the days to, to the movie's release she yes. um she had like a nervous breakdown of yeah. some kind and um that didn't help matters
1: no so yeah she had um what her publicist said was a, a breakdown due to extreme exhaustion um mm-hmm. if you read some of the details they're really interesting like i think what happened was she wanted to be herself during the promotion of this film and the promotion of the album for the film, and okay. at every turn, the studio and the record label were not up for that. Basically, like uh, there's this. What do you mean?
0: What do you mean, be herself?
1: Well, this is this is what happened. There's one story okay. I read where she was at um, the uh, Roosevelt Field Mall, which is in Nassau County, Long Island. <laughs> I have been to okay. this mall with my cousin Andrew numerous times to I... to play and buy Magic: The Gathering. Um, Yes, Hell yes. And uh, (laughs) so she was at this event there and like someone asked her, like, what's a a big problem in the world today, or at least in like in your industry. And she was like, she was talking about how like she hates Howard Stern and stuff. And she was just like talking about like her kind of like her politics, or at least like her sexual politics and stuff. And like, the publicist like ripped the mic away from her. Yeah, so stuff like that just like kept happening. Apparently, wild. yeah. So, um, then she just like had what some people called a nervous breakdown, what her publicist said was just like a breakdown due to her extreme exhaustion. Sure, um, but yeah, so that, um, that precipitated this, uh, <laughs> film to be, Jesus uh, Christ. yeah, it's crazy. Like, so this film then was delayed from an August 13th, 2001 release to a, yep. bump, 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 September 21st. 2001 release
0: and uh it cannot be overstated that this film soundtrack was officially released on 9-11 <laughs> yeah so
1: the actual film soundtrack was released on 9-11 the film is the original the real 9-11 like it yeah the real just... 9-11 the reason we say 9-11 like the soundtrack yes. to this film was released and then the actual film 10 days later um there were very oh, few films that were even released right afterwards uh there was like yeah. a there was a thriller called I think like Glasshouse or something that was I think the same Friday and that was about it.
0: This movie had a really cursed uh rollout, by all accounts. Um and it is a fictional, like, musical biopic, so it ha it it is very much identified with the soundtrack, and I do know in the brief the brief uh Fail Sun research that I did for this episode the like the the soundtrack isn't unpopular the soundtrack has something of like a following and some people actually appreciate it um one of my friends maddie um the the soundtrack to this movie was the first cd she ever got which oh is, my god that's incredible, incredible. Yeah, it is did she um, bite
1: on nine eleven?
0: well she was like a kid
1: yeah but, but imagine she, like she, that's her memory like she mm, went to the record store she went, she went to on 9-11, and then, like, all the TVs are just, like, breaking news. She, she throws the
0: money down. She gets a CD. She turns around <laughs> on the TV, and, like, she sees, the- she
1: sees the second plane hit. Like, wow. Yeah. Um, That's incredible.
0: But, uh, yeah, we do have um, a review from Carla Meyer of the San Francisco Chronicle here, who writes, as a singer, Mariah Carey shows incredible range. As an actress, she shows impressively white teeth. Carrie doesn't completely embarrass herself in Glitter, her screen debut. She nails some lines, and at times shows surprising innocence. But she's so self-aware of the facial expressions that will best maintain her flawless makeup job, and of keeping her cascade of hair lying just so, that she's really just posturing instead of acting. It doesn't help that Glitter is such a derivative mishmash of cinematic and real-life situations that it's nearly impossible to count all the ways. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know that, like, Mariah Carey is seen as something of a diva in real life um yeah and and, and it's that like that blurring of fiction and reality that uh mayor gets at that um i was constantly thinking of through my through my viewing
1: yeah it's interesting i think especially after stories of like mariah carey you know during like green screens or in her trailer you know she always has to have like very specific things Um, and then also like you know you you see like her MTV Cribs episode and you know she's like on the treadmill in high heels and you know there's there's a certain image of who Mariah Carey is Um, but I I just I I wonder like if I don't remember exactly because this is the beginning for career I don't remember exactly if like that had been established yet if like there was the Mariah Carey as diva um, in two thousand one, you know, um, so I'm not really sure. I don't remember anything about Mariah Carey when I was eleven years old.
0: Oh uh, yeah, same. Um, I mean, I think this is like the thing that started that narrative, definitely. This like catastrophe of a movie rollout, but um, sub so all all the all the instances that I can think of, like her, I don't know, got like like fuck me, but like her petty Twitter drama and her petty like responses to other celebrities that that is distinctly post this movie
1: yeah but it's it's interesting and i think um Carla Mayer gets to it uh, in this little snippet. And then she also, uh, I didn't include this snippet, but she does talk about how, like, you know, uh, Mariah Carey is playing this film for her fan base and always has her fan base in mind with this film. So she doesn't have, um, per se, those, like, diva moments in this film. She is very, um, she's very poised, very posturing, very, like, composed as an individual and very, like, understated in her acting but um, it doesn't like, yeah, I don't know. I that it it definitely like, I agree with what Carla Mayer says in terms of like the innocence. Like, I think it is, it is an interesting like aspect of the film and and her character. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, yeah, she never like shows us that I, I can act a scene. Whereas she can obviously sing a scene.
0: And speaking of not uh, acting a scene properly, uh, the, the male protagonist the arguable uh i i thought he was the villain from the get go <laughs> um uh dice the the not oh, mark Wahlberg of this movie yeah. who uh you 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 watched this movie before i did and um the second this guy appeared on screen i'm like fuck this guy he, he's total shit and you said that he was obviously obviously supposed to be marky mark um or the, or the role was written for marky mark and i'm like Fuck that! That is so apparent because he even speaks like him. Yeah, it's so this guy Max Beasley.
1: Yep, and I looked it up. I was like, is he from Boston? No, he's from England actually. So he's a British actor. Uh, and like, yeah, they just told him like, do an American accent. But if you, if you tell a, you know, yeah. a lot of British actors do an American accent, they might do some kind of like Southern accent. That's a really like, that's a common go-to. Of course, this is set, this film is set in New York. So I guess he was trying to do a New York accent, but it does really sound like a Boston accent throughout this whole film. It really is the Marky Mark affect.
0: But yeah, he's, um, he's a total shithead. He, he is like representative of, um the patriarchal uh overbearing um force of like music production he like he is that incarnate in both like the the limited benefit that it can bring to a talented singer a talented female singer and the overwhelming toxic aspects that it can also bring to um literally anyone involved with that kind of production or that industry rather
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think what's interesting about this film, especially the dynamic between Mariah Carey and Max Beasley. So uh, Mariah Carey's character is named Billy Frank and Max Beasley's character is named Dice. So, um, you know, Billy and Dice have a similar relationship to the main characters in every iteration of A Star Is Born. So there have been four iterations of A Star Is Born. Uh, The first one was in 1937, uh, and uh, then 1954, probably the most classic one, the Judy Garland-James Mason one, 1976, Barbra Streisand-Chris Christopherson, and then last year, 2018, Lady Gaga-Bradley Cooper. Um, Mariah Carey is the ingenue, Dice is the mentor slash producer. Now, i've only seen uh one of the stars borns i've seen the first remake the 1954 judy garland film um Mm -hmm. and very much the uh james mason character the character who would be dice in this film he is supposed to be likable you know he's a tortured artist he's an alcoholic usually the mentor figure in the stars born films is an alcoholic tortured artist type um and like uh glitter spoiler alert uh, you know the mentor character dies. Probably like every fucking mentor character in any yeah. movie. Honestly, like that's what they're they meant to do. You know, For sure. impart wisdom and then die. Um. So spoiler alert: Dice dies. Every version of, of the mentor in *A Star Is Born* dies. Um. But what I thought was interesting is like this character is not likable. He's not so much even a tortured artist, and he's only barely an alcoholic he's just like a total fucking paternalistic asshole
0: and see what's what's interesting is like we we kind of get into into like death of the author here because i i think on a very basic level he was supposed to be relatable at least like likable to an extent yeah but um but ultimately like a bad guy who in the end does come through or whatever right but um but like putting aside authorial intent yeah he he's just a total shithead like he he sucks um pretty much throughout like throughout the film he he kind of kind of does redeem himself at the end which we can get into, but yeah, like he is an exploitative uh fuck <laughs> like that's <laughs> and it's interesting that the mentor is is just straight up um unlikable to that extent I, I've never really seen that in um I don't know. I'm I'm sure I could think of it an example if I like sat down and thought about it, but like you you don't really come across a mentor character that's like that loathsome.
1: Right. Yeah, especially if it's a mentor character who's also like the boyfriend, girlfriend, lover character. You because know, yeah. I haven't I, seen this yeah. film, but Whiplash is very is is very much like a terrible mentor, you know. Um JK sure. Simmons character plays like this overbearing, you know, psychotic mentor to that child actor boy miles, Teller, miles yeah that's yeah. his name who he'll, he'll go nowhere now he's he's finished but um
0: another one i just thought of is uh batman begins where uh rachel ghoul is the the mentor character and he batman has to defeat him
1: Right, yeah, but even these two examples are, are a little different because this one is specifically mentor slash lover, you know, and like you said, he right. is supposed to be somewhat likable, but um, and I, this is, this is um, what I think is interesting about this character. He's much, a lot like what people were saying about what the real life, like a star is born would be, and that is the, the life and times and career of the singer-songwriter Ryan Adams. Um so who's, I, who's Ryan Adams? Who is Ryan Adams? Uh he's you know he's a indie pop uh singer. Um okay. I can't name a single album of his. Uh my wife is a big fan of his. I've listened okay. to some of his stuff. He is good, but you know there was an exposé, I think last year or the year before so 2017 or 2018 done about ryan adams i believe in the new york times um he had his me too moment basically where people came out of the woodwork to say this guy is actually incredibly abusive i think i
0: did hear of this actually yeah
1: yeah i mean he's he's big he's a big producer he's a big singer songwriter um i wasn't familiar with him only until I mean, a few years ago is when I was like, oh, those are his songs. I guess I've heard them before. But, you know, he's he's produced people and he has been uh, incredibly abusive to them. Um, Mandy Moore, who he was married to at one point, Mm -hmm. um, she came out and said, yeah, he was manipulative. Um, He uh, did all these other things, you know, that were incredibly shitty. He you know, he basically tanked my career as well. So I think like glitter is what a lot of people were saying the real life a star is born would be like. But because everybody hates glitter, no one was saying, hey, it's actually the film glitter.
0: And what's also interesting um, from the other side of this abusive dynamic, um, Mariah Carey herself, um, her first marriage was to her producer in real life, um, Tommy Mottola. Um, I believe they married sometime in the early '90s, and w- when he w- he was like producing her music, um, over m- more than 20 years her senior, um, the marriage didn't last too many years, and um, there there were rumors that she did confirm that like he was hampering her career and like being overly controlling. So like like basically literally what we see in this movie with yeah, with dice, sure. um, and I I have to wonder how much um, input that carry herself head onto the the whole script or the whole, the shaping of this movie. Um, Because like, like, like it is a one-to-one parallel with her, at least her early like music career.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I I don't know. You know, that's the thing. Like, I tried to find some like behind the scenes stuff about this movie, yeah. and I really couldn't find anything. I tried to find interviews with Vonnie Curtis Hall, the director. I tried to find stuff with the screenwriter, uh, Kate Lanier. Like, I I could not find anything. Um, and I think it's just because like, no one gives a shit about this movie anymore. You know, it's just like, it's a butt of the, of a joke most of the time.
0: And also there was another, uh, newsworthy event that happened at the exact same time.
1: No, what What are you talking (laughs) about? I don't know. I don't think that was as important. I mean, like the death of, uh, you know, her, her film career as opposed to like, you know, a national tragedy. I don't know. I don't know about that. Who can say? Who can say? (laughs) Time will tell.
0: <laughs> uh, glitterous land of contrasts. Um, <laughs> so, I, g- I guess briefly, just like loathsome content, I just have to get my foot in the door here. Um, it's it's not a totally shitty movie to watch. It, it's just really boring, especially for the first half. Um, not much happens. I was I was gonna say um Billy doesn't have much agency in the first half, but like I I can kinda justify that as like, oh, she's like being led by the nose through this exploitative industry. But the 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 <laughs> the aggravated thing about this movie is like you could cut so many scenes from it and it would be the same story, and so many scenes of this movie already are just like B-roll of um the New York City skyline. Yeah. That's fair. So like you you cut down the already sparse story and then you're left with even a greater percentage of the movie that's b-roll and um yeah i don't know this this could be like an hour long tv special honestly <laughs> that's fair
1: I think so I I have a similar problem I think there are a lot of like narrative threads that are very threadbare like I mean there's stuff towards the end even where it's like okay we're gonna develop um, another relationship Uh, there's you know there's another uh, singer songwriter um, another a male singer songwriter who like wants to do a duet with Billy and like oh he's gonna be like her new love interest Mm -hmm. and then it like it just stops at the duet and that's it like we never see this character again he's in two scenes and that's it
0: yeah he he would have been better for her than dice he was like more attractive he could sing better he could like he he was more respectful i, I was shipping them i'm a shipper. Yeah. I ship yeah I ship. yeah
1: no i totally ship them and i thought that's where the film was gonna go yeah honestly you know mm-hmm. and then um we just get a dice uh, redemption narrative basically um, thankfully totally it ends better. with his death, but, um, <laughs> spoilers, spoilers again. So, yeah, but I agree. Like at the beginning of the film, not much happens. I even wish they, um, so, uh, I guess maybe we should do like a, a brief plot synopsis here. Billy, sure. uh, Frank is, um, uh, as a child, we see in the beginning of this film, um, she lives at her mom, uh, her mom is a single mom, um, Lillian Frank is her name. She's a nightclub singer. Um, then like one night when she goes to sleep with her cigarette butt lit, like she burns down their house.
0: I, th- I think the implication is she was um, she was either drunk or she was uh, like getting high off like smack or something.
1: Yeah, so... Because she, you know, she has substance abuse issues. Right, she has these substance abuse issues. Um, I thought it was, you know, it was interesting, like, they have this, like, working class background, you know, they play in these C D dive bars, uh, her mom, like, brings her on stage to, like, sing a song in the sure. beginning of the film... Um, so then Billy goes into a group home setting where she meets her two best friends, uh, Louise and Roxanne. Um, and from there, yeah, you know, it, it goes, it fast forwards to the eighties where like the club scene is big and they're just like club dancers. They get, um, kind of discovered by, um, Terrence Howard actually uh, plays the character uh, Timothy Walker. He's kind yes. of like the villain of, of the movie. He's like the CD producer, basically the cd because like all of the producers are fucking shitty.
0: Yeah. He, he's the closest thing we have to an all right villain. He, um, he's not in it much. I guess that's another like problem with like the, the limited story, but he just like shows up and he's ominous and he, he like th- threatens people or he, or he's like suggestive of violence or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but he's, great at it like he's he mean, he's a good antagonist yeah, no, he's, he's good um yeah. he definitely steals any scene that he's in and, and and so do her friends um so her friend louise is played by uh debrat who i assume was a big uh <laughs> singer songwriter of the time as well uh, sorry yes. people who love debrat i don't know who that is uh, and we did no research as always um
0: we're against we're anti-research here
1: yeah, we are anti-research. And then her friend Roxanne is played by uh, Tia Texada. Again, I don't know who that is, but uh, I'm sure she was like a popular like character actress uh, in sure. the 2000s. Maybe she still does stuff. I don't know. Um, but like they were interesting characters, but again, like not fleshed out. It had been interesting if they like really yeah. established their friendship more than they did.
0: Yeah, they, they felt really underwritten. Um Especially for how like important they were supposed to be in Billy's life, like they were, they were, right. they are her surrogate family. Um, especially when so much of her character is focused on refinding her mother, it, it just felt very like, like a cartoon, like big characters in a cartoon, like oh, they're the friends, and and one talks a lot, and one's obsessed with men, and one, it's, it's just, like you you can for for such formative characters of our protag- like of our protagonist, you can do a little bit more with that.
1: Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean. They just had no interest in that. Um, Yeah, I don't know if it was budget constraints. Um, The the film was only made for $22 million, so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Procon stands that, of course. Yes, Uh, yes. We stand any film that's made for, like, $50 million or or less.
0: Any film that is made on a budget and any film that costs Hollywood money is objectively (laughs) a good thing. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's true. Because this film made, in its box office, $5.3 million (laughs) dollars.
0: That is good. That is yeah. that's praxis right there. That is <laughs> praxis. Um but yeah, so picking up the thread here of the plot, Billy she she's a somewhat successful like backup singer dancer in the in the 1980s club scene with her with her two best friends and she is picked up by Terence Howard um to do backup vocals for his his version of Billy like his girlfriend kind of pet project star singer um but she can't sing whereas billy can sing and so he starts using billy's vocals um for his his star's uh performances her name Basically is like a silk ghost, i think ghost voicing or whatever lip-syncing yeah, kind of thing yeah. um and they even mentioned this I, th- I thought this was interesting that like when dice finds out that she's the one that's actually sings he's like don't you want to be recognized don't you want to like pursue your art on your own terms. she says like I I just want to have a good time and I am having a good time and uh, that that was like a rare I don't want to say anti-ambitious um, trait for a uh, an artist character like this in a mainstream Hollywood movie but like it, it was kind of weirdly affirming because like she is on stage and she is performing and she's helping other people perform, but she's happy and that's all she wants. And, like, I, I know that, like, they need to introduce, like, ambition and conflict into the story to, to drive the the movie forward. But the fact that she was just, like, yeah, I mean, eh, like, I have fun and I'm helping other people was kind of really it, – it's not a common thing for this type of movie.
1: Yeah, it's true. It is very uncommon. But maybe it's also, like, an indictment of this film as well. <laughs> like, maybe yes. that's why there's, like, no
0: yes. momentum in this whole fucking movie. <laughs> I was putting way too much of a positive spin on that. But, like – in in a completely different movie that kind of sentiment would be something interesting to explore yeah.
1: cuz like this film does feel like it washes over Mariah Carey like that she's just like yeah. swept away and like she has no say in anything or doesn't give a shit about anything
0: but again like in a different movie that kind of pursues the same thing that would work within the yeah. context of Dice is a patriarchal overbearing asshole who right. who is possessive and controlling and then you could show Billy, like learning to find herself and to have more confidence, which this film kind of does, but it, it doesn't really stick.
1: Yeah. It just does it poorly. Um, yeah. Back to the scene you were just describing where um, Billy is like doing this ghost voice thing. Uh, there are two moments that are my favorite moments in this whole movie uh, in this scene. So um, the Terrence Howard's like girlfriend is named Silk oh and she's the one who um, they're using Billy's voice uh, She's like lip syncing Billy's voice, basically. And Dice, after he hears them perform, he goes over to Silk. He's like, I had no idea you could blow like that. And <laughs> and Silk says, I didn't know you were so interested in how good I could blow. <laughs> yeah, so that was... We always, um, we always stand a blowjob joke uh, here that at Procon. <laughs> it
0: was... <laughs> any any heavy-handed uh sex or poop jokes we we yep. stand here at procon
1: we stand so and then um i think it's at the end of this scene um after dice and uh billy make a pact that he'll actually produce her and he'll get her out of the contract returns howard there's like this weird close-up of her face and then like there's yes. this like firework
0: it was like disney on. channel shit it was like <laughs> it was insane
1: it was like a bad transition in like that's so raven <laughs>
0: oh yeah yeah and and then um the scene immediately after that, when when Dice is is like haggling with Terrence Howard, <laughs> oh, yeah, those to, weird to jump cuts. <laughs> they're they're sitting. So Terrence Howard is sitting, and he has like all these attractive women around him, and it's like his bodyguards around him, and he's in the club. He has like drinks, and Dice like walks up to her, like walks up to him, and he's like, "Hey, hey, can I talk to you?" He's like, "Yeah, man, let's get a drink, let's talk." And they get up and they walk to the bar, but it's it's like. They do like whoosh editing, and that's what I have in my notes. Like, they they're standing there, and then and then like they're standing five feet away, and then five feet closer to the bar, and then like I don't like what, what would you even call that?
1: Um, I would say they're like staggered jump cuts, basically.
0: But like, it, it almost looked like they fast forwarded in between the cuts. Did they? So like, I,
1: I I thought it was just like cut jump cut jump like it was there a whoosh it, it was like a fast forwarding
0: i i could have sworn it it was it was like um it's like what they do in 300 where it's like slow motion and then <laughs> they fast forward and they slow yeah, motion yeah. for like a second and then they fast forward yeah um but i was i was watching a really shitty rip on youtube of this movie and like that's the entire movie was blurry for me, so.
1: <laughs> so that's why there were players for you <laughs> yes um yes. and they were just clean jump cuts for me
0: they very um, well could have been
1: no, it's weird. So uh, they do the, those kind of like whoosh jump cuts again as well. Like when Dice beats up um, yes! Terrence Howard. Yes, yes, yes. And it's a quick scene. It's even quicker. I mean, it's like yeah. three or four of those cuts and it's like, it's a punch. And then it like cuts to him punching the other side. Then like, just like it, but it's not even like how you would film a normal, like, you know, like, jumping ambush scene like it's it's yeah it's also strange and they even do it sometimes with like the skyline b-roll of new york they even do those weird jump cuts
0: yeah they do that and um in in addition to the b-roll half the b-roll is like just skyline shot half the b-roll is facing down onto the streets of new york city as like a helicopter right. flies over and yeah they, they do that technique uh, fairly fru- uh, fairly frequently um yeah
1: i think it's just to add some color like some you know editing flair but yeah it's, I mean, it's weird it's out of place but i, I sure as hell know. remembered
0: it so good yeah, job Yeah, exactly
1: there. right i mean <laughs> it's memorable um i laughed every time i saw it <laughs> <laughs>
0: i laughed i cried i glittered you know, what can i say
1: glitter tears
0: so yeah, like Billy's career gets underway. Uh, Dice is her producer. They have a they have a good dynamic going for a while. Even from the start, he he's pretty controlling and pushy, and and she's like carted around in clubs to meet other music producers and other like label executives and shit like that. Yeah, for for a, for like the first two thirds of the movie, Billy has no agency. Yeah, like she she doesn't make decisions and. Um, she kind of just goes with the flow, and it, it's for for a while. Like I was thinking, maybe, maybe maybe this movie's real protagonist is Dice, and Mariah Carey was just like used for marketing. Hmm. I kind of half thought that, but um, but no, she she is the main character.
1: Yeah, it's just again, it's it's just so poorly written, and like I th- I think you know Max Beasley being a somewhat already established actor at this point, or at least like. Had been in other things, you know he mm-hmm. gets to yeah maybe you know
0: he's a musician, apparently a professional musician,
1: yeah, he's a musician, yeah. he's an actor, like he had been in more things than literally one movie, um, <laughs> so I think he's allowed a little more like acting license you know artistic acting license than than she is right. um and 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 that is you know um fairly consistent with the other uh, versions of a star is born as well. I mean, the, the male character is a big personality. Um, you know, I, I look at the actors who played it Jam- James Mason, Chris Christopherson, Bradley Cooper, Bradley Cooper directed the previous one
0: in the Bradley, in the Bradley Cooper, um, Lady Gaga dynamic kind of mirrors glitter here because like that was Lady Gaga's acting debut. Just well, like screen, 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 screen acting, de- yeah, screen acting but yeah.
1: like it's similar the-
0: there, there's something of parallel there I'm just, <laughs> I'm
1: just trying to... We are professionals, folks. yeah we're um, we're
0: uh, professional contrarians. Um,
1: and we just contradict each other. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, what I thought was really funny when when Dice and Billy eventually uh, fall in love, um, he seduces her with his marimba playing skills. Oh my God. He he takes her up to his fancy loft apartment and it's filled with like uh, musical instruments. He's like, yeah, music's my real passion. Like I produce, but I also want to be a musician too. And she's like, what's this? Is it a xylophone like they have in kindergarten? He's like, no, (laughs) it's a marimba. You know, it's like what they have in the Caribbean. It's like one of my favorite instruments. And he he beats out a few like notes uh, and then they fuck immediately after that. So like, I mean who knows, but probably the first on-screen time that, like, anyone has ever seduced anyone with a marimba.
1: Yeah, I was, like, expecting him to, like, start singing, like, Calypso music. I mean, because, like, that's the actual way to seduce somebody, is with Mm -hmm. Calypso music. (laughs) A white person doing Calypso music, which is, I mean, the history of, like, American Calypso music anyway. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, the sex scene is hilarious because it's, like, they... We don't see anything, obviously. This film is PG-13, um, but like we see behind some like frosted glass, we see yeah. these two people embracing and taking their clothes off, and then it like cuts to them like you know the classic eagle eye view of them in the bed with like yep. you know uh, their the covers up to their necks basically, yep. Yep. and she, and he's like, "Is it good for you?" And she's like, oh, 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 "It's good." Then she say like something, something
0: like, "She's like, I never do this," so it's like yeah, immediately yeah. Re- she immediately regrets it.
1: She says, uh, "Oh yeah, that's right." She says, "I never do this." And then he says, "I could tell." And then she has some retort. She has some retort to that as well, and it's it's supposed to be funny. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, (laughs) it's absurd. Honestly, Um, their 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 chemistry is just awful, and it's maybe why like. They, they, I, I, honestly, like we said earlier, I honestly think they wanted Marky Mark because he, at this point, is a way more established actor. Like mm. he's a better actor than Max Beasley.
0: I hate Marky ass. Mark. Yeah. he would have, he would have been better, much better in this way role. Way better.
1: I mean, um, they maybe were banking on like a way better actor to have the chemistry and be able to really lead the scenes. And Max Beasley can, but he he needs to do way more work when you have a first time you know singer turned actor right um like mariah carey so yeah i don't know i mean it's just it is unfortunate casting for for the the male lead i think again mariah carey does fine does her best she can sing she has that talent whereas like Max Beasley has very very little going for him in this movie.
0: Max Beasley has that scene where after Mariah Carey or where after Billy's uh, career starts to flourish and she she kind of is doing better than Dice uh, where Dice gets jealous of her. Journey. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the aforementioned uh, his name's Raphael, the um the the hot singer that um was, oh, yeah, oh, we yeah. should collaborate. So like Billy her two friends and Dice go to like this premiere. Um, like of, I think of- they go to the music awards, right? Like, yeah, the music awards. That's it. They're all dressed up. They're all looking fancy, whatever. And then Raphael's there too. And he wants to meet uh, Billy. He's like, I'm, re- I'm a huge fan. Like we should collaborate sometime. And she's like, Oh yeah, me too. Me too. And then um, Dice is like drunk at this point, And he's mm-hmm. wearing leather pants, no shirt, and a long black coat. <laughs> <laughs> and he he's like acting really possessive and jealous um of Billy he's like oh, blah 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 um i'm doing my own thing i don't want to tell you about it blah blah, blah 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 and then he's like come on we should go so he ushers the the woman into the limo and um he's making fun of Raphael as they drive home and the two friends start to chew him out <laughs> he's just, this is just like a me thing but he's such like a loathsome prick He's like, you're fat, and you talk too much, and I'm just, like, I don't need this shit, and, like, he kicks them out on the side of the road. <laughs> I just I was, like, hilarious at, like, how much <laughs> of, like, this abject asshole he was being, and it was the one time I actually bought, like, his performance.
1: No, it's true, yeah. He played, like, drunken asshole way better than he played, like lovable oaf yeah or like, <laughs> yes. or like talented producer like he did play like has been asshole really yep. well yep. um but of course then like you know he has he gets there's a redemption uh there's oh a redemption God, arc yeah. here and uh so what is great about this film is that billy does kick him to the curb after that she's like yes. you know what fuck you you yep. suck I like my friends. Um, so she breaks up with him. She goes back to her friends and she's like, Hey, can I stay with you guys? And they just, they embrace her with open arms, which, you know, that's a really, it's great to see these like three female friends who throughout their whole life, they've been together and they don't allow like this shit to break them apart. Like it's nice to see that in film in like, especially this kind of, um, film.
0: Yeah. Just, and especially when that kind of, um, romantic relationship is so tied up in the professional side too billy just like kicks it like throws it away without a second thought which is good to see
1: yeah definitely so um then uh, billy is you know she becomes um even more famous well actually the reason why she breaks up with him is because he uh beats up terrence howard the night that she is doing a performance on snl that's yes. when she breaks up with him. She doesn't break up with him directly after the music awards.
0: Yeah, she beats him she she breaks up with him because he had promised to pay Terrence Howard uh like ten thousand dollars for yeah, ten thousand dollars for a like, contract. Yeah to be her to to have her contract. And of course because he, he's he is the Phil son of <laughs> unambiguously, <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, and unambiguously. because he's a Phil say, son, yep. he he obviously doesn't pay for that. And so Terence Howard threatens them in their home. Like, like he sneaks into their apartment and he threatens Billy. And then that's when that aforementioned fight scene happens. The weird, the weird wish editing. And then, yeah, and then he's arrested and she has to go bail him out.
1: Yeah, so she skips her SNL performance to bail him out. She breaks up with him, moves back in with her friends. Um, and then, so... This is the best scene in the movie. Uh, It's a few scenes after this. Uh, She is going to... She's gotten famous enough to perform at Madison Square Garden. And uh, she is about to go on stage when she learns that Dice has been killed. Uh, So it was an amazing scene. And I called it when it happened. I was like, so we see Dice just walking and then it's like a cut to a point of view shot of someone looking in their rear view mirror or their their side mirror uh, in their car. And I was like, oh shit, he's gonna die here. I can't wait for this to happen. So he's walking down the street Terrence Howard gets out of the car. He has one hand in his trench coat yep. and Dice is like, what's up? We want to go. And like, they're walking closer to each other. And then Terrence Howard just pulls out a gun and just like shoots him right in the fucking heart. Fuck you, Dice. Fuck you, <laughs> Dice. Your, your new name is Die.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, we, we cut to the backstage um, green room of Madison Square Garden and all of Billy's, like, her entourage is like, oh, this is so bad. Has everyone found her? Has anyone found her? And then we turn the camera and she's, like, standing there having watched, uh, watched, like, the news report. And then she performs and she says at the beginning of her performance, remember everyone that you love in your life because you never know when you'll see, like, when you'll never see them again. And then she sings a song and she sings it well. And then she finds a letter <laughs> in her dressing room <laughs> from Dice where he's, like, I love you so much. I miss you every day. Oh, I'm proud of you for doing this. I found your mother that you were looking for. She lives in upstate New York.
1: <laughs> that's Maryland, it. actually. She lives in Maryland. That's okay. what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she lives in Maryland. And then the last scene is uh, Mariah Carey going to Maryland and like finds her mom in this very like idyllic like, little shack. Yeah. And they're happy together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And we should mention also previously, um, right before Dice dies, uh, Mariah Carey, like, basically breaks into his apartment, like, sees that he was writing this, like, melody for her specifically. Right, right, right. And then, like, she she kisses the the sheet music, uh, puts her initial with a little heart uh, around it uh and then he sees that she'd come and and you know he's like oh she cares about me still Then he dies and then he and then, dies and it's, <laughs> it's, like and, it's and it's glorious so you know that's the redemption narrative there where it's like okay maybe they're going to get back together and but then he dies and she still cares i mean it's you know it's understandable that she still cares about him right i mean we've all had breakups where we still care about the person who we just broke up with or who just broke up with us. Um, But he is so fucking shitty in this movie. It's hard as an audience member to want to like him again and accept that Billy likes him again.
0: I mean, to be fair, um, all kinds of toxic relationships are extremely complicated and extremely um, intricate in the way that, the toxic person and the in the person receiving the toxicity um people who abuse their partners and people who receive abuse from their partners um often have very complex feelings toward the other so yeah this th- this kind of read as somewhat um somewhat faithful to like the way that real life abusive relationships go down
1: yeah that's fair i think um there is nuance to this film that is hard to grapple with, with some of the very like in your face dumb dumb energy of this film. <laughs> the
0: the nuance is is unwitting. the nuance yeah. is despite itself, uh, which isn't yeah. to me, say it's invalid. it's it's still valid. it's still there. Um, but you have to kind of dig for it a little bit. it and it's not what is present on screen.
1: no. mm mm. yeah again it's uh it's part of our generous reads as always
0: that's the alternate title for this uh, podcast the generous read
1: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so that's basically the movie
0: again i i do want to stress a good 10 to 15 percent of the runtime is b-roll of new york city (laughs)
1: But again, as we said, it has interesting editing yeah, techniques. Not not the worst
0: not the worst like B roll of, of a city skyline that I've seen, but just like I, I, I really don't think I'm exaggerating in saying like ten percent of of the runtime is of buildings.
1: Yeah. That's fair. I'm gonna actually re edit this film and I'm just gonna only make it the, the B roll. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> With Mariah Carey songs in the background.
0: Okay. Yeah, that could work. Yeah.
1: And there, there are a few shots of the twin towers as well. We should say. Oh, that was
0: my other big takeaway from this movie. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that some some asshole online has like tabulated this to the nth degree, but this might be the last ever movie that um, depicted the twin towers in like an innocent manner, like like not knowing right. what's coming. Um, yeah. Other th- there have been other. Um, Historical movies, and of course, this is a historical movie it takes place in the '80s, um, there, but even like after 9/11 happened, there have been other historical uh, period pieces that happen that take place in New York um, that show composited images of, of the Twin Towers. but this is the last one that did that like completely unwittingly as to, as to what did happen uh, a week before release.
1: That's probably like literally the last to like film footage used in a Hollywood film mm-hmm. of, of the, of the twin towers. Like everything else now is B roll or like it's a composite CGI footage, you know. or, or yeah, right. Exactly. Archival stuff. But like literally, I feel like it's literally the last yeah. time yeah. a Hollywood studio filmed the twin
0: towers. It has to be all of which is to say uh, Mariah Carey did nine 11
1: <laughs> We're sorry, Mariah Carey. She wanted want her legacy. <laughs> Mariah Carey's high vocal range can melt steel beams. (laughs) (laughs) Workers of note, who we got? (laughs) Okay, folks. Um, So I thought the costumes were really good in this film. Uh, I don't think that it gives off... um, an 80s vibe for like half of this movie i honestly do think it seems very early 2000s or like early 2000s conception of the 80s where like they had no budget to do any kind of research
0: yeah so they, they, (laughs) they spent their budget on the soundtrack like and that's it yeah
1: but i mean they're still good costumes like um anything mariah carey wears uh as we said previously uh dice's um yeah his his no shirt uh, leather jacket, leather pants outfit. Oh God, that, that was
0: strong, like, <laughs> Sith sorcerer look. <laughs> like, sh- shitty Sith sorcerer that is killed by the protagonist, like, in the opening scene. Yeah, look for
1: sure. Um, so, yeah, people who did costumes. Uh, Joseph G. Alisi is the costume designer. Tara Burke, wardrobe assistant. Renee Fontana, wardrobe assistant. Tanya Hudenik, wardrobe buyer, Lauren Lightfoot, costume cutter, Mario Martinez, costume buyer, Sarah Schlitt, assistant costume designer, Louise Sequera, costume supervisor, Sue Lun Tom, wardrobe assistant.
0: The other major group that we have marked down here for workers of note is uh, the location people. Um, Actually, this can be the little uh, shoehorned educational aspect for this episode What do location managers and location assistants do for a film?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. Probably they just, like, make sure that the rest of the production doesn't, like, destroy the location first and foremost. (laughs) That's fair. They probably are also involved in, like, location scouting um, and then, yeah, making sure, like, it is ready for shooting I would imagine.
0: That was my assumption. I mean, um, I know when when we worked on uh, student films together in college, like <laughs> uh we we would have to first of all find places to shoot some things and then second of all like receive permission of some sort, unless it was like a gorilla type thing. Um, and then kind of like secure a we have to secure location with a with a tactical <laughs> with a tactical mindset. No, but like get to the place and make sure that it's usable that like that's what i would assume location managers and assistants do
1: yeah i think that's probably it i don't know i mean sure. if there's an actual location manager who like listens to this podcast please tell us what you do come Hell on a yeah. podcast
0: it's, <laughs> it's, we could find them i'm, I'm sure one of, i'm sure one of these people in a bunch of name could would actually be interested in doing that um yeah but anyway we do have um frank catano location assistant marty jigzik Location Manager, Jesse Hove, Location Assistant, Paul Kramer, Location Manager for New York, David McElroy, Assistant Location Manager, Brett Miller, Location Production Assistant, and John Rakich, Location Production Assistant. Um, Yeah, the locations of this movie were interesting. Um, Obviously, finding parts of New York City that look like New York City. Like in the minds of the average cinema goer, um, it isn't. I, I would imagine isn't as easy as it looks. Like you, actually, you have to find places and streets that are like, that are evocative enough and that are that are set, that are suitable for shooting a uh, shooting a scene. And uh, a number of the nightclubs too were actually kind of cool. They had like a cool look going on.
1: Yeah, I, I like the one nightclub that had, like, those, like, weird dragon statues yeah. in the foreground. That's yeah. that's actually why I, I chose location uh, managers to highlight. I mean, I was, think, I was thinking scene. the same thing,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, it's hard, especially in 2001, to find parts of New York that looked like 1983 New York. Yeah. And I think they did a good job with, like, the street that... Um, Billy and Dice live on yes. and his loft apartment um those are very evocative they those felt like 1983
0: and, and also in the apartment that Billy has with her two friends um right it's like a, a second it's, it's like a second story apartment and then there's the bodega, the bodega right across the street on the corner yes that was like mm-hmm. that is 1980s new york in a nutshell
1: yeah yeah and then the scene where um her hit goes on the radio for the first time and like they stop the taxi mm. and everybody's dancing in the streets. Yeah, like yeah. that location as well, that exterior location, very sure. uh very nineteen eighties. Again, there was like a bodega there. There's like a just you was know, a like random assortment of eighties cars. Or something. And, yeah. yeah, it it looked like a very like cramped little street corner. Um so Nick, who would you recommend this film to?
0: Nine mm, eleven truthers. Um <laughs> for real um i guess yeah we have it here broke recommendation people who like a star is born people who appreciate that um iteration of the the artist's narrative um this is definitely a weirdly innovative twist on that story
1: yeah no i think so as well that's why i wrote that down um yeah (laughs) (laughs) um our woke recommendation is if you need a new feel-good movie as your go-to after the uh, next national tragedy mm-hmm. that happens here in america yeah when- um, because we know there are, there are national tragedies daily and with um the onset of the, uh, <laughs> the uh, global climate uh, catastrophe oh, boy. Um, that we are experiencing and that we will continue to experience until we all die um it's coming folks you're gonna need that feel good movie you're gonna need some glitter in your uh, life you're gonna need some glitter just all over um so that's it
0: and uh this bespoke recommendation i didn't even think of this but this is a really good take so i'll let you have this one because you you wrote it so
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so our bespoke recommendation is um is for people who realize that uh, film in, the film industry gives white male directors uh, a million more chances after their box office uh, flops, but um, most uh, people of color uh, who get who even are allowed to get into the director's chair mm-hmm. um, are given way fewer chances. For sure. Um, so. Vondy curtis hall he, he directed three films now he's done some tv stuff um episode an episode of the sopranos yep. some episodes of firefly he's done some tv movies as well right um, but he was he's never been given a big budget film since like 2006 so it, uh Prior to *Glitter*, *Glitter* is his second film. He was he had a film with Tupac and Tim Roth and Thandi Newton called *Gridlocked*, which I've actually mentioned previously on on this this, this podcast. Hmm. Um, but it's about these addicts who live in New York City, okay. and um, they just have to like uh, navigate the bureaucratic nightmare of like social services. Basically, um, it's it's a great anti capitalist film, folks. Check it out. Gridlocked
0: and just to, just to to link back to glitter really quick like there there is that scene where uh Billy is trying to find her mother and she goes to i don't know like the the department of like records or like social security or whatever, and she she tries to talk to that um the the bureaucrat who right she's like, oh, like you know shit happens like we lose records blah 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 blah, and that kind of like ends her search,
1: yeah, exactly, so it yeah,
0: so- sounds similar.
1: Yeah, there's. I think there's a thematic throughline uh, of his films. Uh, his his last film that he did that was released in theaters is called Waste Deep, and it's about like gang violence and like I, I think there's some element of like the bureaucratic mess of like how how like you know people deal with gang violence, how you know city governments deal with it, how activists deal with it, how the people who live in those communities deal with gang violence. Um, but yeah, he made three films, whereas like someone like Steven Spielberg who has had a bunch of pl- flops. I mean, 1941 flop, always flop empire. of The sun flop BFG, which he made pretty recently fucking flop.
0: What's what's tricky about Spielberg though, is like at, at this point he's such like a, like an, an influential figure. Like I th- I think there are other mediocre white guy directors. Like, like, like there are like, like dozens of them that we could pick from. Um, it almost seems like Spielberg is like he—he's insulated himself from that criticism, like like whether whether or not it's warranted.
1: Yeah, I mean that's fair. Um, I just thought for some of our for our our normie listeners, you know, <laughs> okay. they, they would I'd, they would know who Spielberg is. Okay, of course. Okay, that's um, fair. But yeah, there's people like you know Paul W S Anderson who does all like, we the 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 fucking um, the Resident Evil films. Yep. You know, and like literally every single one of those is a flop. His Three Musketeers film is a flop. Like.
0: And that's actually another instance of a questionable um, producer figure uh, marrying uh, the star figure he yeah, that's right. He's, he's married, married to, to Mila Jovi. Exactly. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it, it, right, there's, there's these people who no one knows what their names are, yeah. you know, what movies they've done, but you've seen their movies, Brett their Ratner. movies suck, Brett Ratner, definitely, and he's also a guy with, you know, the a Me Too moment yep. that happened to him. I mean, you know, he's apparently a, an ultimate scumbag. Yep. Um, yep. Like, yeah, Rush Hour 3 was a flop. Um, every film he's made after Rush Hour 3 mm-hmm. has been a flop. Um, his production studio, I think, went under.
0: Really Rat Pack. Interesting.
1: I think Rat Pack is gone Shit. because he sucks that bad at making deals. He's just bad at deals, folks. <laughs> He's
0: bad at deals. <laughs> of course, uh, the the overhanging shadow to this entire uh, episode, we going from national tragedy to Me Too abuses of of of, of female figures in entertainment industry to uh, the heavy New York presence. This episode was, the, the secret villain to this episode was Donald Trump.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's surprising that, like, there was no Trump Tower uh, B-roll, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, even in our, uh, our episode to Rhinestone, like, they, they literally the, go to Trump Tower. The climax happens
0: in Trump Tower, that's yeah. true. So, and this glitter's mm-hmm. woke. They they knew to cut out Trump before. <laughs> 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 they were ahead of the curve on that one.
1: Hell Yeah. All right, folks, well, that does it for our episode on the 2001 Masterpiece Glitter.
0: We'll see you next time. Bye.